Publius, we had an earlier call um, today about, you know, it was a development call or a dev call. And Bacchus uh, asked a question there that we, we said that we'll take it uh, in class. And I was thinking that maybe this could be the topic of um, discussion or we can like talk a little bit more about it. So I'm just going to copy the guy already linked it uh, or linked to it uh, in the town hall chat. I'm just going to copy it so it's easier to read. All right. So, and, and maybe before taking the question, we can take it a step back and just set the scene on, you know, what, what do we mean or what, you know, what do we imagine or think when, when we're talking about forks? So um, in one of the governance calls, we discussed a little bit on, you know, what, what a fork may be and maybe what is the advantage of having, uh, of having a fork or why would... Not, maybe you want to just read out the question uh, for those that are just listening. Yes. So... So the question basically talks about about fork. Let's say that a fork would happen, you know, or bean sock would fork. Uh, Backus question is, what would that mean for pod holders, third holders, and you know, third party protocols that basically use use beanstalk? So maybe before before answering this specific question, Publius, I was asking if you can maybe summarize and tell us why would we end up in such a scenario? What would happen, or what is the scenario that we envision in which a fork happens, and then maybe we can answer this question and say what happens to you know pod third holders or 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 the beans of participants. So, one of the facts of operating in an open source environment is that, in practice, uh, anyone can take your ideas and your implementations and create copies. And there is some aspect of survival of the fittest uh, that is core to the environment that the Beanstalk operates in. And to some extent, that applies both from an economics perspective as well as a technology perspective that the nature of money as well as the nature of open source technology makes it such that uh, the environment Beanstalk exists in is, is, is as competitive as it gets. Now, if, if we assume that Beanstalk is somewhat successful and you can define success as where it already is or some point in the future, it is entirely unrealistic to expect uh, there do there do not be uh, copies of Beanstalk or systems very similar to Beanstalk that ultimately arise to try to compete with it. And the competition is perfectly healthy, uh, in our opinion. But with that said, uh, there there is some aspect of the system being designed to succeed in the highest. Uh, chance possible to give it the the highest uh probability distribution of success when you consider all of the potential scenarios that it may find itself in that it is it is the the scenarios in which beanstalk has to compete with forks is almost certainly a reality that will it will face if it continues to be successful and then the question becomes how to how the system can best prepare itself for that environment such that it is most likely to succeed in perpetuity. That's the, the, the starting point. Now, the reason why 
there has been, at least on our part, some discussion about forks is within the context of governance of Beanstalk. Uh, ultimately, the question as to whether or not to uh, propose to change Beanstalk through a BIP uh, or create some sort of copy of Beanstalk uh, or an explicit fork uh, is fundamentally a governance question. And therefore, at least from our perspective, the, the discussion around how Beanstalk itself should deal with forks uh, is, has to be taken in the context of the system of governance that is being implemented. So it's both an economics question uh, and a governance question in practice for Beanstalk. But uh, forks in general are uh, something that the the open source environment effectively uh, mandates in practice and at least you know from our perspective there has been some conversation around forks of beanstalk springing up because of dissatisfaction with the current uh, implementation or its growth thereof and therefore it probably is really healthy for uh, for the, the, the conversation around how Beanstalk should operate, assuming that there are forks, to happen sooner rather than later. Uh, now, the, in practice, the implementation of a system that could enforce uh, somewhat autonomously uh, or entirely autonomously uh, whatever forking protocol makes sense in theory uh, it, it is going to be significant. Uh, it's going to take a while. And so to some extent, we may be getting ahead of ourselves to try to, to try to think that this is a problem that can be solved in short order, but at least uh, it's a topic that is, hasn't been discussed much uh, to date, uh, at least to our knowledge. And it, it seems like given given all of the questions around uh, funding of Beanstalk Farms and the right way to govern the system, and as well as just the 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 general environment that Beanstalk finds itself in, it's it's not a bad time to have the discussion. Although, uh, to be totally honest, haven't haven't dug into it to the point where we feel like we have resolution. So we'll be uh, thinking through the, a lot of this uh, out loud, uh, you know, right now. Great, and and maybe this could be, um, you know, the first discussion, or maybe it's not even the first. A discussion of many, and others, you know, who are with us uh, today or later can always join um, as 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 it matures or as the conversation matures. Publius, before or you've described it before as let's say a peaceful transition and maybe one that is not peaceful can you maybe explain what you meant by that and you know what 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 is what is a peaceful transition in a fork so the what what we meant by that was that there is some ability to exit the system uh freely and from a an ethos perspective, the idea is that anyone should have the ability to leave the system as they choose. Now, currently, the way that 
you can leave the system is by selling your bean, uh, which is perfectly reasonable. Now, from the perspective of beanstalk in particular, uh, if there is going to be a fork where a significant amount of demand for beans leaves the system, uh, it's certainly worth considering whether or not it's in the interest of beanstalk to allow people to uh, or encourage the fork uh, by lowering the friction associated with something like this for the fork to port over as much of the beanstalk state as it would like, such that uh, people opt instead of selling their beans from the original version and buying the beans in the fork version uh, to burn their beans in the current version and uh, mint beans in the new version. That would be at the margin the only real reason for Beanstalk uh, to implement some sort of forking protocol natively. And it is worth thinking through a little bit whether or not in practice that would that would be the case. But if we grant that it is the case uh, that that some people uh, that some, I guess the fundamental question is, is there ever an instance where the fork of Beanstalk would want to honor the old, uh, the old Beanstalk uh, state in any capacity? And as opposed to spinning up from scratch. And if that is the case, if there does seem to be some economic uh, incentive fundamentally uh, for a fork of beanstalk instead of spinning up from scratch to migrate some or some, some portion of the, uh, or maybe all, but at least some portion of the state of beanstalk in terms of uh, outstanding beans, uh, pods, and fertilizer, that if there is some incentive for that new implementation of beanstalk to honor that old state, and I guess additionally would be the stock, uh, the grown stock in particular, uh, that if if that's the case, it, it, it may be in the interest of the old version of beanstalk to make it as easy as possible for the fork to honor as much of that old state as possible. Uh, and there are a couple reasons for that. One would be, I guess the first reason that we already mentioned uh, would be the the burning of beans to mint them on the new chain. Presumably, you'd really be burning deposits to mint deposits on the new implementation of Beanstalk, uh, not necessarily a new chain per se. Uh, but the, 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 the other way where there's potentially some indirect benefit to Beanstalk uh, would be that if the likelihood that a fork honors the debt of the current version of beanstalk pods and fertilizer that that may increase the value of pods and fertilizer uh and that is uh, inherently uh, beneficial to beanstalk so there is some some indirect benefit and then some more direct benefit uh where instead of having the beans sold on the market uh and then needing to either borrow or through convert uh, return the price to the peg, 
by by making it potentially seamless for people to burn their deposits on one version of Beanstalk to mint them on another, uh, the system could dramatically decrease uh, potentially the sell pressure associated with competitive versions of Beanstalk. Okay. Um, I have a few follow-up questions on, on that, but we'll, we'll read one of uh, maybe the comments uh, from Jams, and, and they're asking if we're thinking about forking and who will initiate uh, that fork. And then what's the difference between the OG Beanstalk and the forked uh, Beanstalk? Um, I think the last question is probably what we're discussing, um, but uh, are we thinking about forking and who is initiating the fork? This is just you know talks in general. Uh, nothing concrete is happening now, and as Publius uh, covered it maybe earlier, and, and you can maybe share some more thoughts, Publius, is that we're having a discussion that maybe we think hasn't hasn't been discussed, uh, you know, yet, and we, we you can think of it more as being prepared. Okay, Publius. yeah, I want, want, want to just explicitly say though, we Publius uh, have no intention of forking Beanstalk. Uh, however, people have come to us and talked about forking Beanstalk, and therefore do feel like it's a a relevant topic to be discussing and furthermore the the real separate from the fact that people people may fork beanstalk as has always been the case i think there was actually one fork uh i don't even remember what it was i think it was corn themed uh a, a while back uh could be mistaken on that uh but the the other thing is there is an, an active conversation happening around governance and trying to figure out a permanent system of on-chain governance that Beanstalk can survive with in perpetuity and fundamentally feel like forking it has to be considered in the context of on-chain autonomous governance. So the question is whether or not Beanstalk, from a governance perspective, should uh, welcome forks because of the potential benefit to Beanstalk uh, or whether it should uh, maximize uh, the friction around forks uh, to prioritize its current network effect. Uh, and that's a, a, a debate worth having uh, around what would be the marginal benefit to Beanstalk of facilitating something like this. Uh, it, it probably also has to be had in the context of whether or not the debt, uh, meaning the pods and the fertilizer, would be honored by the fork. Uh, from our perspective, I feel like it's almost impossible for the network effect of Beanstalk to be copied uh, or, or, or duplicated without honoring the debt uh, because the debt is, fun as a credit-based system, the current debt and the ability to repay the debt is fundamentally where the value of the system derives. And so the honoring of the, the outstanding debt of Beanstalk seems to be almost necessary uh, in order to, to, to take over the network effect of Beanstalk, particularly at scale. Uh, at the current stage, that's uh, more questionable. But the, the bigger point is that these are just fundamental questions that need to be asked uh, and answered as we are as we are constructing a, a governance system. Yes, agreed. Um, I see some of the comments that are, you know, maybe shying away or, 
or prefer not to not to have the forking uh, or the fork discussion. But I think it, all discussions are eventually positive. Uh, maybe talking more in depth about it clears up or you know explains reasons on why not to do uh, such a thing, or maybe even you know how why to do it if it's a good thing, and then how to do it. Okay, Publis, I want to go back to the example then that maybe we started with. To some extent, just want to want to say, sort of agree with Harry uh, that this is probably not the most constructive thing to be talking about at the margin, but people uh, have questions, and fundamentally, we feel like class is a place where any time that there are questions, it's important to address them. Uh, last time, we mentioned the forks in the context of the governance discussion. Uh, perhaps that was a mistake too, but only if you think that this is not something that needs to be answered in the medium term, let's call it. And while there has been some productive discussion to fix uh, or improve the governance situation in the short term, hard to think that this isn't a very relevant piece of the puzzle. Uh, and, you know, we're, 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 we're not going to shy away from talking about anything that we feel is uh, important for a, a, a final autonomous version of Beanstalk to exist. Uh, recognize that from a from a strategic perspective, talking about forks may make forks more likely. But at the end of the day, from at least from our perspective, uh, forks have always been something that that are expected, and it it's really about how the system would operate in a competitive environment. And to, to shy away from those types of questions is probably not uh, optimizing over a long long time horizon. The system ultimately really does need to be competitive in all situations. So recognize talking about this stuff may make people a little uncomfortable, uh, particularly if you're thinking about, you know, we're going to go fork the protocol. Uh, again, we have no intention to do that. Uh, at all uh, at the moment uh, and feel like honoring honoring all of the current, again, debt of the system is sort of fundamental to the the nature of the system and to, to create a new beanstalk would be totally against the point. Uh, and from that perspective, it, it, and honestly, this is actually maybe a, a, good, a good point to make, from the perspective of if the system is going to honor all of the outstanding debt of the system, what, what does it actually mean to be a fork, right? It's a copy of the, the, the software of the system with some alterations, but fundamentally the previous state of the system is somewhat being honored. And so if we talk about this from a theoretical perspective, uh, particularly in the context of the environment that Beanstalk exists in, like a, a chain, you have a, a hard fork and a soft fork where the hard fork effectively makes it such that the new version of the software is not backwards compatible with the old version of the software, but the state of the system is still retained. And whereas in a soft fork, the, the, the old version uh, the old version of the software uh, is still valid. Uh, excuse me, uh, an old. Yeah, I think that's a, a decent way to put it. Uh, probably not the best, but the the concept is that when you have uh, 
when you have the system go into a a hard fork, you you have a bifurcation in the future state of the network. Uh, whereas when it's a soft fork, there is no uh, there is no duplication or or a separation of the state of the network. Uh, there's just two separate versions of the software that may uh, be coming to consensus on the same thing. And this is fundamentally the difference between the way that BIPs currently work uh, in Beanstalk, which are all uh, in practice soft forks, with something that would more closely resemble a hard fork, uh, where there's some uh, honoring of... Anyone can obviously just copy Beanstalk and deploy it from scratch. But what we're really talking about here is the honoring of pods and fertilizer uh, and at least in some capacity, uh, maybe according to some multiplier plus or minus, you know, it could be a, a bonus uh, to encourage people to come to the new system uh, or it could be cutting the debt in some capacity. Uh, but there's an honoring of the previous state of the system. And then there's a question of, if you think about the, the depositors in the silo, the holders of the value in the system as somewhat the, the validators of the network uh, uh, in, in the context of uh, network forks, then there's a question as to making it such that uh, the depositors where the liquid value of the system comes from can just migrate through the two different versions of the system. Uh, that's probably what the most uh, competitive low friction uh, version of the system would look like. And the implications of something like this are pretty meaningful in the context of, at the moment, uh, if you think about what happened with the merge, and we've, we've spoken about this before, in practice, all of the, 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 the decision around which chain to honor uh, went down to or came down to very few centralized uh, participants in the system who are the issuers of the stable coins uh, on the on on the chain, and they have the in practice the ability to decide which chain is valid because the majority of value on the chain, other than ether itself. Uh, is coming from centralized issuers, and they they can only honor a single version of uh, the stablecoin. So they they basically have to choose, uh, or they could create some sort of system where uh, people have to they could honor both chains, but people have to in advance opt into a chain. Uh, so there's some ability to to opt opt. Uh, into the the new chain in advance uh, or into the old chain in advance. Uh, and that's in practice what we're talking about implementing here. Uh, and so you can really think about this as from a, a forking perspective, uh, a larger problem than just Beanstalk. It's a problem that extends to the network layer. And this is the type of... Uh, solution uh because beanstalk is in the same position it really doesn't make sense for a fork to just duplicate the entire state uh including the liquid beans 
because uh, you can't really double the supply of money and expect both of them to retain value. Uh, so you have to cut, uh, you, 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 at, at, you, at least in theory, you wouldn't expect to be able to just double the, the supply of money and maintain the price of the both monies. So there's some question of making it as easy as possible to opt into the new or old system in as low friction as possible. And that type of model could extend to, again, not just Beanstalk, but to uh, governance at the chain layer as well, or the network layer. Yeah, I think this is uh, maybe a side comment, but uh, typically one of, you know, when you're, when you're talking about un, uh, um, non-collateralized stable coins or, you know, algo stable coins, um, the argument is always, you know, why this wouldn't work is that if I just fork it, I will double the amount of money. Um, without, of course, you know, here we're talking about why why that's not the case. Okay, Publius, want to go back to the example of, let's say there's a fork right now. Um, and then um, for all, uh, and, and for now, let's only talk about, you know, stockholders, since that's easier for them to exit and enter the system versus, you know, uh, pod or fair holders. Um, one way for you to go to the new, you know, fork, let's say, is that you exit, you know, the silo, you sell all your, your beans or whatever it is that you have, and then you enter, you know, that, that new fork. Um, and then another way, uh, and, and then maybe this is what, what we described as, as peaceful, is that there is some sort of an agreement between, you know, these, the status quo or the original uh, uh, protocol, and then you can, you can just switch to 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 the newer one or to the newer fork, is is, is that is that correct so far? In in the scenario that yeah. you're thinking of, correct. Okay, so it's either selling or the peaceful option is to have some sort of opt-in. Correct. Okay. Do you think what what reasons do you think or can you think of why why would anyone first of all maybe why would the new system want to accept um, you know all all that? Uh, uh, or or you know pod holders, and then the similar on why would the older ones also want to want to move? Do you see any any advantages in doing that? Well, the system would want to honor the debt of the 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 the, the new system. One would think would want to honor the debt of the old system because that is fundamentally where the network effect comes from. And in practice, what would it mean to be a better implementation of Beanstalk? It's a better uh, capacity to pay off debt. And so the concept of uh, honoring the old debt is sort of the way to uh, take full advantage of the current network effect of the protocol or a significant amount of it and demonstrate efficacy in excess of the, the, the old version, if that makes sense. Now, there's some argument to be made that just the growth of the new system could uh, cause there to be a strong enough network effect in excess of the old system. Uh, but there's a question as to whether or not that new network effect is as strong or sustainable as the old network effect. These are things that sort of fundamentally are likely to play out in the market. Yeah, I think you raise very interesting uh, points, especially that this is a credit-based uh, system. 
So, you know, if you create a fork and you just let go of all of your, your previous debt and expect, you know, people to move into there, then what, what will, you know, why would new creditors, you know, trust you if, if that makes sense? You can just fork again and then, and then move on. Exactly. And why would one of the holders of the system want to move over? So think that it, this question best applies to depositors. Uh, the, the short answer is that there is probably some benefit. Well, there's certainly some benefit if the new version of the system is willing to honor the grown stock. So you're basically burning old deposits and then you get these new deposits and there's no opportunity cost there uh, to migrating over. That's probably some marginal benefit. But to some extent, the, if you're, if you're going to buy into the new system, you do want to buy into the new system with it as small as possible. Uh, but the the issue is around dilution, where at the individual level, uh, if you're a participant in the new system, you want to get as big a chunk of it as possible before you get diluted from the system getting paid back. But it ultimately makes it such that the system is likely to overheat, right? So if you start at zero and everyone's now rushing in to, to a very small door, uh, it's much less likely to be a sustainable growth than if you start with a slightly bigger pot and grow from there. So again, it's a question of it, it, Beanstalk in many ways solves tragedy of the commons problems. And there is some sort of uh, question as to whether or not uh, the, the, the tragedy of the commons in this case would make it such that the, the protocol overheats uh, despite honoring all of the old debt. Uh, probably unclear how that would work out in practice. But certainly from the perspective of the old Beanstalk, it is in its interest to have people burn their deposits for new deposits uh, in order to minimize sell pressure, certainly. Uh, from the perspective of the new Beanstalk, it's less clear what is the benefit in terms of the network effect and uh, the likely uh, volatility in the price uh, around having the ability to migrate deposits. Uh, but certainly... There, there's some benefit to Beanstalk. And again, this is one of the fundamental questions that we asked uh, at some point uh, earlier in the discussion, which would have to be answered in the affirmative in order for it to make sense for some sort of forking protocol to be implemented. And at this point, don't feel like it's, it's clear that there is a benefit to the new protocol to honoring uh, the grown stock uh, at the margin, it, it may be, but it also may not be. And uh, therefore, there's an argument to be made that, uh, you know, it, it's not worth it to implement some sort of uh, native forking protocol. Because again, the, the only place where this really makes a difference is on the, the silo side of things. Uh, it's relatively simple to honor the, the state of the debt. Uh, it, the, the more difficult part is around facilitating the migration of the deposits. So yeah, it's a interesting open questions here. 
Yeah, I would think that there will still be some sort of maybe resistance to old, um, let's say, stockholders moving to the new one if they were going to lose, you know, their 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 ground stock, um, or at le- at least it will introduce some, you know, um, some some thought there. And I would imagine it would be easier to, you know, migrate uh, older ones or older stockholders by honoring some sort of, you know, will 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 maintain that stock given that you know you've you've been there, or if you want to do that switch. But anyways, all of this is not, and maybe maybe no one, you know, the new participants don't care, or they this is something that they don't, you know, don't value. Publius wanted to expand a little bit more on this now, and you know bring it from a governance uh, point of view. And I want to think about this, if this may be, you know, the idea of forking is not negative uh, in general, and it could be, you know, maybe even a point of strength um, um, for being stuck. Um, so one of the reasons, and maybe one of the main reasons why forking uh, happens, it, it's, not, it's not the only one, and maybe it's not the main one, but I would say it's one of the main ones, is that... Um, there is a disagreement in governance. People want to, you know, go different directions, and hence you get a fork at which you know each fork thinks that they will run or manage that fork in a better way. Um, if Beanstalk does implement this, you know, peaceful transition way, in in a sense that you know any fork can happen, and then participants can switch and migrate between one fork uh, to another. And and in the example that we gave, when it comes to like stockholders, you can anyways do that. You don't really need uh, that peaceful transition. There are advantages to it, but anyways, you can exit, you know, sell the system and then enter the system. So you have that ability to do it. If the forks are, you know, peaceful to each other, where one person can switch from one to another, doesn't that more or less contain all of the forks value into one big, you know, beanstalk ecosystem? So it doesn't really matter where are you. It does matter to an extent, but still the total beanstalk value will be the total value of all of these forks, just given that they are all, you know, they can they can move from one to another. Well, there is there is a network effect here such that it's unlikely that there are a bunch of different beanstalks uh, all issuing the same assets. You could make an argument that the market may prefer to have different beanstalks uh, issuing different assets of different denominations as opposed to a single beanstalk issuing assets of different denominations. We would probably disagree with that uh, idea uh, and think that the network effect around credit is uh, pretty strong such that it's better to have a single system that socially everyone opts into uh but but the market may decide it's better to have uh competing credits uh or systems of credit uh and from that perspective you could make an argument that it's all uh the beanstalk ecosystem and therefore it's beneficial to to who is i guess the question and from the perspective of a pod holder or a fur holder uh or a stockholder the real question as to who it's beneficial to is around financial value. And the key here is around uh, creating a system that is uh, most likely to remain credit worthy, right? Beanstalk is a credit-based system, 
And so the, the fundamental question is around creating a system that is likely to remain credit worthy. And from that perspective, if you consider that the market is at least going to test out uh, a variety of different competing versions of the system, there's certainly an argument to be made that the system should be optimized around planning for that. Now, another aspect of this discussion, which we haven't really spoken about or considered uh, thus far, is if the underlying network itself forks. So let's say that there are two versions of Ethereum that now exist. There is an open question as to how Beanstalk should operate such that there is not a fork in the network effect of Beanstalk as an issuer of money or or a uh, a sister question to this uh, is how Beanstalk should should operate in a multi-chain environment where the network effect around Beanstalk uh, remains in place. And so, it, yeah, this is a very layered, uh, sophisticated question that uh, is not going to be answered so simply, but to, to neglect the question would be a, a total mistake. Okay. We'll take a question from, from Syncubit. And um, their discussion or their question is, is regarding governance, uh, mainly on maybe um, voter participation. And they highlighted uh, how some, you know, um, um, stockholders have grown stock and, you know, that, is, that, is, that they're not like active or participating. Um, and then they're thinking, uh, or their question now, and maybe uh, I'll try to read this so that I don't, uh, you know, miss, miss, uh, mis-summarize it. So in the context of recent governance discussions and considering Beanstalk is now six months post-replant, would it not be helpful for the DAO to start to reflect on how much of an advantage unripe assets have in terms of both vesting and governance power plus seniorage and how that may, well may very well impede the appeal of the protocol to new LPs in the silo? So they, they, they then continue on saying that instead of a fork, why not require unripe asset holders to opt into either taking vesting but forsaking their stock and seeds or retaining their stock and seeds to keep their governance power plus claim seniorage but give up their claim to vesting? What, what are your thoughts, Publius? So this is exactly where at the margin, if Beanstalk had a, you know, Sync says instead of a fork, this is why a forking system may make the most sense because you can now uh, deploy a fork of Beanstalk where all the uh, uh, unripe and ripe asset holders can opt in uh, and so the system now moves over to this new rule base and the unripe asset holders may not move over only the ripe asset holders may move over uh, all the debt is maintained uh, but the point is that if the thesis is correct that the unripe asset holders are holding back the system and because of the way that the system is currently uh, structured, they have a significant hold over the governance of the system. So they're not going to create opt in. They're not going to vote with a majority for a rule change that uh, diminishes their their ability to control the system. They have it captured, uh, and therefore the system is stuck. This type of forking mechanism is exactly what would allow for the minority of governance holders. Uh, but perhaps a, a significant amount of value holders in the system to migrate over to a new version uh, that they think would be uh, competitive with the current version that they, they think is captured by the unripe asset holders. 
So this is in practice exactly why this type of discussion is important because perhaps this is the way that uh, it's most likely to have a rigorous competition around the model itself, uh, but the highest likelihood that participants in the system ultimately get paid. Okay. And, and Publius, what are your thoughts in general? So now maybe you touched on why an advantage uh, of, of having a four could be, which is, you know, to do this and then test it out and see what the market wants. But what are your thoughts in general on, you know, unripe uh, asset holders um, and the stock that they currently have slash the vesting and maybe the seniors that they get? So stockholders, they succeeded in, or, you know, they are running uh, a fundraiser. Uh, they managed to, you know, um, um, raise whatever amount that is currently raised. And it is this amount that is raised that's providing liquidity and it's providing, you know, um, uh, the price discovery for Bean uh, is why they have, um, you know, stock. Uh, and that is uh, as a percentage uh, or is, you know, um, um, sized or scaled according to how much was raised. Do you, do you think or see that there is anything unfair about, you know, the current structure? And maybe also what are your thoughts on it being inhibiting or, or, or you know, impeding any new participants? Do you think that this is the case that currently we are not getting new participants because, you know, of how much the older ones have accumulated? So FAIR is not, at least from our perspective, in a, in a free world where people can do whatever they want. Uh, FAIR is probably not the right metric. And given that the participation in... Beanstalk, after the exploit was clearly defined, meaning the 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 DAO is ultimately the thing that was borrowing the money, right? The protocol is governed by the DAO. Uh, the 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 DAO approved the rules by which the protocol would borrow the money from the market, and so anyone that is lending to the system or then participating in the system after the system was replanted understands. Uh, or certainly has all of the resources available to them to understand exactly what the rules of the system that they're opting into are. So that's fair, uh, but don't think that beyond that, it makes sense to make any sort of value judgments on the fairness of the rules of the system. Instead, uh, want to talk about the, the second question, which is based on the rules of the system, what are the current incentives uh, incentive structures created and how does that affect the system and uh, are, are they good or bad? Uh, the, there's a, an interesting point that Guy made recently, which is that the unripe asset holders are also owed by Beanstalk, similar to how Pod and Ferd holders are owed by the system. And typically... Uh, or at least from a principal perspective, uh, Beanstalk uh, tries to make it such that only the value that can leave the system uh, immediately is in charge of governance because there's some aspect of being able to leave uh, freely that makes you most likely to be a good governor of the system that you're a part of freely. Uh, whereas if you are owed something by the system, uh, it's it, your, your views on how the system should grow or change are somewhat corrupted. Uh, now, think that this principle must apply here as well, 
And it's important to recognize that compared to the value that based on the, the, the rules of the system, compared to the value that can be freely removed by depositors compared to the value of the, the stock that they exercise in governance is greatly disproportionate at the moment. And there is some incentive there that they get they get an outsized amount of uh, voting power such that they are encouraged to uh, get themselves paid. Now, at this point, why not have the potholders uh, or the fertilizer holders participate in governance? So to, to some extent, I think there's a very valid argument that from a, like a philosophical perspective it, or a theoretical perspective, it doesn't, it doesn't, bode well for Beanstalk that uh, a group of uh, stakeholders in the system that are owed by the system uh, are, are hold such a significant portion in governance or any portion of governance uh, for that matter. And there's certainly an argument to be made that only, only the ripe asset holders should be able to, uh, or not even the... I don't think it's the ripe assets. I think it's just the the normal assets, uh, according to the Beanstalk uh, lexicon. It's just the the normal assets, Bean, Bean three curve, the people that have deposited regular assets in the silo. Those are the those are the primary stakeholders in the system. There's certainly a valid argument to be made that that's that's a better system of governance. Uh, don't don't know how true that would be in practice, given that effectively you have to assume that the the participants that have come in after after the exploit are largely new participants, and there is some question as to the DAO that got the system restarted uh continue to have a significant amount of influence on the system as opposed to the DAO getting the system restarted and now immediately ceding all control of the system to the new members of the system. So from that perspective, I feel like there is probably some sort of nice balance between the old DAO members and the new DAO members having joint control of the system. And at that point, once you grant that that's really the way that things need to be, then there's a question of, well, given that the current system does do that uh, according to some rules, can, can those rules be improved? Uh, I'm sure they could be improved at the margin, but they probably do a pretty good job of aligning the incentives. And it's to some extent just a question of where in these arbitrarily defined uh, curves uh, we currently are at the moment. Where in the incentives created by the arbitrarily defined curves are we at the moment? So, uh, yeah, experiencing perhaps a little bit of inefficiency in the system itself, uh, but it's hard to it's hard to imagine it's it's a really significant marginal improvement that can be made around straddling the the old down members and the new down members because the, you just need to make some sort of decision around how to count how to count uh, their, 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 their ownership of the system how, and how it contributes to, 
contributes to governance. And no matter how you slice it, it's not going to be perfect. So at that point, it's like, well, how are you going to slice it? Uh, it was already decided how it was going to be sliced uh, for, to, to re to re rejigger how it's going to be sliced is, is probably suboptimal, but uh, you know, or, or at least a, a suboptimal use of time, we should say. And Sink, if, if you had uh, follow-up questions, you can type it or feel free to join us on stage and you can continue, continue this discussion. Otherwise, we'll move to the next question from Terboy. And Terboy asks, how are devs hired in an anonymous DAO environment? It appears there's a lot of interest in people working with Beanstalk, but how can one trust these people have the right intentions? Are audits the only way to catch bad dev actors? Publius, you can answer, and I see also maybe Silo Chad is here. He can come on stage and, and share some, some of these uh, or, or some of those thoughts. thoughts. Yeah, I was, was going to ask if Chad wanted to come up here and, and give an answer. If not, uh, we're happy to give a, an answer, but I feel like they're, they're doing a lot of the, the hiring, and also a lot of the communication with the auditors, and therefore they're probably a great uh, person to answer this. What's up, everybody? Um, yeah, great question, Turboy. So I think there's, there's two components here. The first is on the, the hiring front uh, and figuring out who we decide to collaborate with. Uh, and the second is around how are we verifying code before it goes out? So to speak to the first one, I think... To zoom out a little bit, it's important to remember that everything that we're doing is open source. And so at the end of the day, anybody can come contribute to the code base, whether that's on the front end or on the subgraphs or even on the protocol. Uh, and I think, you know, at the protocol level, there's a fairly clearly established process in terms of pushing code updates to the protocol. And, and that's the BIP process, which we'll probably continue updating. With respect to the rest of the stack, you know, I think uh, developing a process by which other developers can contribute to that code uh, autonomously is something that we're we're looking towards. As it works right now, you know, ultimately anybody can come submit a PR, and and folks on the Beanstalk Farms team will take a look at that code and decide whether to merge it in. And we've actually had a number of contributors, uh, including some folks who are here on the call tonight, who've just you know we've found out about that way. Um, but point being is that, you know, with, with all of the code being open source, ultimately, uh, we invite uh, a pretty wide range of people to come contribute. In terms of how we hire for Beanstalk Farm specifically, you know, happy to address that. I think it's a little bit uh, more nuanced, but ultimately, we're, uh, we're interested in working with anybody who, you know, has worked in DeFi and, and wants to, to help build Beanstalk. And there's a whole lot of ways in which people can uh, can help in that that regard. I think with respect to bad actors, so uh, there's really a couple layers of of protection here, and and obviously always something in terms of uh, security and other things that we want to uh, to keep a close eye on. But ultimately, think we have a you know a system that's that's in place now that puts a good number of protections on things. So at the first layer, when we're looking at upgrades that are going to happen in particular to the protocol, uh, we spend a decent amount of time as a team uh, 
sort of bouncing ideas back and forth and often reading over specifications before things uh, began development. So typically there, there is some shared understanding of how features and, and other things should be built before, uh, before you know, a developer starts writing code. I think the second uh, sort of extending on that is that often developers will will pair up to write to write code. So it's not you know sometimes there are people who write things independently, uh, at least the initial version. But uh, very frequently we're we're collaborating, and so I think that that reduces the you know potential surface area for for problems. From there, once a, once anything is completed, uh, and you know it depends to some degree on what uh, the code is affecting, but we we do team code reviews. So uh, particularly over the last couple of months, we've really started to hone our process in terms of, you know, before any code even goes to an auditor, uh, how do we share it amongst the team? What does a code review process look like? Uh, and I think, you know, the the conclusion we've kind of come to, particularly in the last couple of months, is that those that process needs to be pretty detailed. And so uh, you know, myself and Publius and Breen and uh, other folks who have worked on the the Solidity contract side have spent a lot of time reviewing each other's work and really getting into the weeds and have found that even when you know uh, even for the best developers, it's good to it's good to have you know input from other folks and we find a lot of really interesting improvements that we can make during that process. And then I think finally, you know, all code that. Uh, hits uh, the you know the hits beanstalk is going is audited by uh, is audited by somebody and, and sometimes by multiple people. When I say hits beanstalk right now, I'm referring to uh, specifically you know contract upgrades that go out in BIPs um, and then also other you know components of the beanstalk ecosystem that beanstalk farms develops like like wells for example. Uh, and you know there may come a time down the road where. Uh, we also do continuous audits on other pieces of the infrastructure, like the the SDK and, and the UI, but uh, right now focused on the solidity side. And we work pretty closely with auditors to uh, really get in the weeds on you know every level of, of the code. And a, a lot of that also comes down to the process of preparing documentation of how the code uh, is expected to behave ahead of time, and then you know walking them through that. So I think the I know that's a bit of a long-winded answer, but I think the combination of all of those things together uh, gives like a pretty, you know, pretty good coverage of uh, of of you know making sure that good code makes it to uh, makes it on chain. We'll just add that in the context of building composable technology, that ultimately modifications and additions to what is being built are likely. And it's ultimately up to the users and the user interfaces to ensure that the versions of the contracts that they are using are safe. And from that perspective, there's not much more other than audits and potentially multiple audits that can make it really easy for users in particular to verify that whatever they're using is safe. And so to some extent, at the end of the day, getting all of this code audited by one or more auditors is very important to creating an environment where users can verify for themselves, uh, even if they're non-technical, that the the code that they're interacting with or the contracts they're interacting with have been audited or are safe, as safe as they can they can check for themselves. 
to add one more thing to that, this uh, we'll talk more about this in the Dow meeting on Thursday, but uh, Beanstalk Farms is working to engage additional auditors to help kind of give a, uh, a spread of, of folks who are looking at Beanstalk. And we have a new auditor who's working on some code starting this week. So I think that's you know, another way in which uh, we're trying to keep more eyeballs on this thing and, uh, you know, never have it be one, one individual who's shipping code. Thank you, Chad and Publius. And maybe one, you know, <laughs> one thing to note on is that Beanstalk Farms is as doxed as it has been you know, since day one. It wasn't long ago when there were not only anons, but there was also voice moderators. So we've, we've, gone, we've gone or moved a long way, or have come a long way since then. Okay. The good old days. Good old days and good present days, and, you know, to the future as well. We have a minute Amen. until... Amen. We have a minute, or we can you know, spend a few more minutes. Let's see if folks have any, any questions that they would like, uh, like to ask before we end this class. All right. Thank you all for joining us today. And Publius, thank you for taking the time um, to have today's discussion. Uh, Chad, thank you for uh, coming in. And to those who are joining us, uh, if you have any questions on, on you know, how can you contribute or uh, add to the development of Beanstalk, you can reach out to, to Silo Chad or to Guy, uh, who, who are with us uh, here. Thank you all for joining us again, and we'll see you next week.